A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems, too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Other Hand, a podcast brought to you by CJP Economics, a collaboration between Jim Power and Chris Johns, where we discuss the intersection between politics, finance, and economics. Our back catalogue of podcasts can be found at our Substack website, and that Substack site also contains our extensive body of written work. Thanks for listening and reading. If you like our work, please share with your friends and sign up to our newsletter. Hello, Chris. Good to talk again. We keep saying it, but we really do have a packed agenda today because what we continue to see on a daily basis is truly extraordinary. And we are truly living through extraordinary times at the moment. Um, There's a number of things um, I think we need to talk about today. One is what's happening on the global, uh, well, at least the US tech earnings front. Um, Secondly, there's a significant bit of Irish economic data that I just want to update on just to give listeners an indication of what's happening on the ground in the real economy here in Ireland. And I'm sure we will find lots more to talk about uh, later on in the podcast. But we have, over the last couple of years, we've consistently referred to the fact that every time we see tech earnings, particularly in the United States, coming out on the upside. We rub our hands in glee, thinking that this is shortly going to reflect itself in significant buoyancy in Irish corporation tax revenues. And that's exactly what we've lived with over the last couple of years. And it is this corporation tax buoyancy that has enabled the government to introduce an 11.3 billion package in budget 2023 without having to borrow, in marked contrast to what happened in the UK with the mini-budget, for example. Um, but we, and we, So, as I say, we, we always believe that when we see these strong earnings, it will benefit Ireland. But we also always feared, I think, that if, we, if the flip side happened, in other words, if we started to see a deterioration in the earnings front, how is that likely to materialise an impact here in Ireland? And you'd have to say 
based on some of the tech earnings we've seen this week, there are grounds for concern. Uh, Meta, for example, announced the second straight quarter of disappointing results. And Amazon announced reasonable results for the third quarter, but suggested pretty sluggish sales in the fourth quarter, largely, I think, based on what's happening in the US economy on the consumer spending front at the moment. So they certainly start to ring some alarm bells in this country, because if we start to see those tech earnings um, starting to deteriorate, um, you know, inevitably at some stage, that could possibly start to materialize in lower corporation tax revenues in this country. Um, I'll get back to you a little bit later on to get your view on that. But before I do that, Chris, I'd like to just update on some Irish economic statistics. Um, the Eurostat today published the flash estimate for inflation for the euro area. And within that, Irish inflation, this is the harmonized index of consumer prices. That is the standardized Eurostat measure of inflation rather than a regular consumer price index. But the HICP, as it's called, up by 9.5% in Ireland in October. That's compared to 8.6% in September. And surprise, surprise, energy up 47.6% continues to be a significant driver of that. But even excluding energy, HICP inflation is up by 5.9%. So this inflation problem in Ireland and indeed across most of the world continues to become embedded in the system. Um, I was taken with the piece you wrote on our Substack account on Thursday about what's happening on natural with natural gas prices. And um, I hope the optimism shared by Chris Giles of the Financial Times and yourself actually does materialize and that as energy prices come back down next year, we will see a significant um, deceleration in the rate of inflation. Uh, but for the moment, the inflationary pressures continue to be intense. Um, a second area of interest in Ireland today or statistic is the retail sales data for September. Um, I, a few podcasts ago, spoke about the fact that consumer confidence here had fallen to the lowest levels since March 2020, which was the outbreak of the pandemic. And before that, December 2018, which was the beginning, really, of the great financial crisis. So consumer confidence levels are back down at those levels at the moment. And the reasons are pretty obvious. Um, you know, the cost of living crisis, rising interest rates, the very negative external news flow, both political and economic. It's just feeding into um, people's psychology and is making people feel very negative about the future or quite negative and nervous about the future. But to date, we saw little real indication that this nervousness in consumer confidence was starting to translate into a significant slowdown in consumer spending. That, I think, is starting to change. Um, in the year to September, the volume of retail sales, well, sorry, in the, during the month of September, excuse me, the volume of retail sales was down by 3.1%, with food down by 7.2%, clothing down by 5.2%. And on a year-on-year -year basis, the volume of sales was 7% lower than September of last year. So this is the first real sign that this negative consumer sentiment is starting to translate into reduced consumer spending. And indeed, the central bank 
published other data showing that the spending on debit and credit cards in September fell by 7%. So there is a consistent narrative building up here. And it doesn't surprise me in the least because um, I think it was inevitable at some stage that we would see consumer spending losing considerable momentum. And while there is a possibility, a real possibility that in the run up to Christmas, that, you know, people will party to the end and go for one final splash as such as we normally do in the run up to Christmas. But then when you come into January, February of 2023, that the harsh reality could hit and you could see a significant deterioration in the trading environment for retail and hospitality businesses. Uh, but this is the first real important that things are starting to change on the consumer spending front. So it's one to watch. The final piece I would like to allude to is what's happening on the housing side here. Uh, we got data for the third quarter yesterday showing that we built 7,544 new units, apartments and houses. Um, and over the past 12 months, we've now delivered 27,773. So that is significant. It is still below what we require to be building, but we are certainly making significant progress. And all I can say is bring it on, keep it going, because our housing problem, in my view, is definitely more of a supply than a demand problem at this juncture. So we just need to continue to ramp up that house building and hopefully eventually it will bring some equilibrium back to the market. I'll leave it there, Chris, and I'll hand back to you. And if I'd like to hear your views on what's happening on the US tech earnings front. Okay, well, the first thing to note, I think, is that the tech results are more about a slowdown in growth. And that raises almost a technical stock market point about equity valuations. These companies were on what stock market types call very rich valuations. They, were, they are called growth stocks for a reason. They are priced for growth. And one of the things that seems to be happening to a lot of them is that growth is either stopping um, at worst or at best just slowing down. It's not that their profits are collapsing. It's that their share prices are collapsing because they've stopped growing. Now, that could be the start of something. It could be that the next shoe to drop is that their profits actually start to decline. I don't know. I don't think anybody does. But certainly their revenue lines are under pressure and no one more so than Meta, as you say, previously known as Facebook. So this is a share price story rather than a profit story in terms of big moves. But what we are seeing, of course, is that the big, big growth in profits is also over. If that's the case, then if there is a correlation, and you and I have said many times, as you said in your intro, that there is, has been a correlation between the profits growth of these companies and corporation tax revenues in Ireland and activity in Ireland, employment in Ireland, and the growth in the take up of office space in Ireland, as these companies have grown, so has their presence in Ireland grown, so has their contribution to the exchequer. So I think if we're going to be consistent with everything that we've been saying is that I think that the question is, is this the end of the Irish tech boom as a result of the end of the global tech boom? And I think it must be a qualified yes. The growth, the big growth boom in corporation tax revenues with something of a lag, I think is coming to an end because you know, profits don't grow to the sky. They can't. Um, it creates too many problems, tensions, uh, violates too many natural and unnatural constraints. 
So I do think that we are in for a different period in Ireland, that the, the big rapid growth is over. Let me ask you a question, Jim. Do you use Facebook? Well, the interesting thing is, a couple of years ago, I noticed a lot of younger people, I do know one or two, believe it or not, um, used to say to me, that, well, they still do actually, that Facebook is for older people. I think that you could have seen the trouble that Meta or Facebook was going to get into coming, actually. And I'm surprised that people are surprised for that very simple reason, that if you spoke to younger people, they would tell you that the only bit of Facebook that they use, if they use it at all, is Facebook Messenger. And that, that to me, doesn't seem to generate a lot of revenue for Facebook. I could, I could well be mistaken. The other is Zuckerberg. And when you see a company like this dominated year after year after year by one individual who increasingly goes off into flights of fancy and bets the house on black, as it were, in a casino, changing the name to Meta is the clue here in that he's making this bet on the metaverse and spending uh, the, the crown jewels, if you like, spending the family silver on this one bet which might pay off. This is where we're all going to live our lives instead of us. Well, I suppose in a way we're doing it in the sense that we're, we're, we're interacting on the internet now. But it's the next stage of that. You know those funny 3D goggles that you see people... I don't know if it... They're quite impressive when you put them on, actually. But the, it's the next stage of all of that where we live our lives 100% in a virtual reality and we become unable to distinguish it from reality. Well, maybe reality is so awful these days. I mean, you don't live in the UK. You, don't, you haven't lived through um, more prime ministers than you've had hot dinners, and we're not living, neither of us are living in Ukraine or any other particular hellhole at the moment. Maybe virtual reality for a lot of people on this planet is where it's at. But so far, that's not been true for Facebook. Facebook's attempt, Mark Zuckerberg's attempt to get us all to live in the metaverse so um, whether he, I've no idea whether this bet will ultimately pay off on it or pay off or not. But when you see from a share price company perspective, a dominant CEO stroke owner betting the house on one thing, then you're violating a fundamental investment principle of diversifying your bets. And you begin to wonder whether this is, in fact, a sensible strategy. So I'm not surprised and, uh, that um, Facebook has gotten itself into trouble. I think the point is have been there for some time. They're spending like crazy on the metaverse. But, you know, as, as you also said, uh, Amazon uh, has shown signs of slowing down. It warned about the Christmas revenue season. And that's consistent with what you were saying about Irish, but also global consumers. The global consumer is under trouble for very obvious reasons. When prices are high, you can only spend less than you previously did in real terms. So, uh, it's it's tough out there for a whole host of reasons, but very obvious ones. So, yeah, we're slowing down. Um, it, it, the, the tech thing, A, we've lived through this before. Those of us of a certain age can remember March 2000 when the last tech bubble burst. This one is different. It's not like that. It's not as all pervasive as it was back then. I think that there are companies that are going to remain winners. I think Apple is very interesting at the moment, and that's a very big company in an Irish context, not just the rest of the world. I think Apple remains very well placed to withstand this uh, bursting of the tech, this particular tech bubble. But with one caveat, I worry about its operations in China. And I wonder, with its big, big manufacturing capabilities in China, what's it going to do about that? I also wonder whether... Um, its sales in China will continue to be as important as they used to be. So yes, I wonder about 
Apple's sales in China, its operations in China generally for the Chinese reasons that you and I have talked about a lot. We think that there's a lot going on in China with respect to the changes that Xi Jinping is introducing, the very anti-market, anti-capitalist changes, return to basic communism. Amazon, well, Amazon traditionally hasn't been a very profitable company. It's always reinvested its money. So I'm curious as to why it's down 10% today as a result of just some gentle warnings. But again, it's, it's about highly rated companies perhaps getting what they've always deserved. The problem with these stock market things is that they can go on for years. This problem or issue or question about share prices pricing in ridiculous growth rates for the future, growth rates that can't happen, has been around for years. So it's all very well. Somebody like me saying, yeah, it was obvious. It, it was, but it was obvious for many, many years. So I wouldn't take this as an investment recommendation. Um, but another company that is very important to Ireland is Microsoft. And I actually, I bought one Microsoft share yesterday just for the crack. Um, I think it cost me 200 quid or something. Can't remember the exact price. And this is not an investment recommendation. I hasten to add, if any regulators are listening, we are not making investment recommendations. I'm just letting you, Jim, and anybody else that's interested know what I did. I do think that uh, companies like Apple and Microsoft with sustainable business models that don't rely on social media for their revenue streams um, I think are well placed and will come out of this the other side at whatever share price, I have no idea, uh, in good shape. So I'd be more worried about the Facebooks and the Twitters of this world. Um, I'd be particularly worried about Twitter now that um, Elon Musk has bought it today. God help them all. He seems to be firing a lot of their chief executives. So yes, I do think that there are issues for the tech space. I think that means that there are issues for Ireland going forward. I don't think it's a bursting of the tech bubble a la March 2000 and for the next three years at least. But um, I do think that this time next year we will be writing and talking about the boom in corporation tax revenues, at least from this source being over. 54% of our corporation tax take comes from 10 companies. Uh, we, we obviously, for confidentiality reasons, the revenue commissioners won't tell us who the ten companies are. We can um, guess them, couldn't we? We could guess, but the point is, if you start guessing, there's a lot of pharma companies in there as well, and sixty-five percent of our merchandise exports this year come from the pharma sector. Um, and you know, the pharma sector did really well during the two years of COVID. Still seems to be doing well, growing exports strongly. So at least. Uh, we have a pretty diversified foreign direct investment base. So I, I would expect the corporate tax receipts from the pharma sector to continue, um, I think, to um, buffer the exchequer, or the exchequer finances here. Um, but, you know, as you say, you pick out some of those big names that are really important in Ireland in terms of employment and in terms of tax revenues. Definitely the stuff to worry about there. And of course, on the employment front, um, a number of those tech companies have at least announced a hiring freeze in recent times. To be honest, would you be remotely surprised, you know, apart from those structural issues you talk about with Meta and so on, but if, if you just think about the global environment we're facing into, interest rates are rising, inflation continues to intensify, consumer demand everywhere is likely to weaken significantly over the, the coming months business investment spending will slow down in this sort of environment as it should. So 
I, I think there's no surprise about what's happening, but that they, I guess the question then is, is this a structural change or is it just another cyclical phenomenon? Uh, but I take the point you made at the beginning there that, you know, you cannot expect these tech earnings to continue to grow into the stratosphere. They're there has to come a point where they start to level off and, and maybe we're there already. Um, I, I'm not convinced, but maybe we are. And and, and perhaps um, it will start to impact on the corporate tax take over the next 12 months. And I think on the balance of risk management that we should certainly as a country take the view yet that the corporation tax take is likely to weaken sooner than we previously expected. So against that sort of backdrop, um, tight control on the public finances, I think, is still very, very appropriate. Um, the $11.3 billion that we spent in the budget on September 27th last, of course, that has all come from budget surpluses. There's not a problem there, but it's what happens into the future is now the issue. So uh, definitely greater grounds for caution than we've seen for some time. Interestingly, I see that Mark Zuckerberg, um, the value of his shareholding in Meta has fallen by 100 billion over the last 13 months. Uh, This is absolutely extraordinary stuff. What do you think is going to happen on Twitter? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I blow hot and cold about Twitter. I use it a lot. I think it's a marvelous platform for getting real-time information very quickly. Uh, if, if you are a, a Twitter nerd in the way that I am, you can watch the nightly news and be bored to death by it because you've read it all already. It is the best source of real-time news information if you follow the right people. It's also a cesspit. And the stuff that you get on it, the way in which people have a go at each other, is is well documented and it still is extraordinary. Uh, last week, um, I had a few Shinobots have a go at me, believe it or not. Dear old me, att- attacked. Because I, for once, uh, retweeted uh, an article by Fintan O'Toole. Uh, regular listeners to this podcast will know that I am not Fintan's biggest fan for all sorts of reasons. But I thought the article he wrote about the fallout from the the song sung by the women's football team um, was wonderful. I thought it was a really super, super article, a great piece of journalism. And the the Shinobots appeared out of the woodwork and had a right old go at me in ways that were just incredible. Uh, They didn't engage with any argument or point that I was making. They they, uh, quickly went very, very personal. 
Um, they uh, had a go at my pathetic uh, f- followers on Twitter. The, they had a p- go at my pathetic timeline. They had a go at my love of colonial cricket. Um, all sorts of extraordinary stuff. And, of course, nothing to do with um, the piece that I retweeted or Fintan O'Toole's arguments or, indeed, anything else that I might argue. And I got away with it very mildly. And I, I stress that it was nothing. It was, it was like being stoned to death with popcorn. Um, there are journalists who have been bullied off Twitter by, uh, by people like this. Um, so got it far worse. I always think female journalists get it much worse than male journalists. So Sarah Carey of the Indo wrote another piece similar to, to Finton's last week, a, a wonderful piece. Um, she's a great journalist. And um, in that piece, she just mentioned almost casually that she has been bullied off Twitter by the army of uh, Sinn Féin volunteer Twitterati. And so uh, for, that's an example of one example of the way in which Twitter is assessed. But the way in which Russia uses Twitter is, is, is a cause for concern and so on. So it's a curate's egg. It's good in parts, um, but uh, I don't think that it actually has at the moment a sustainable business model. And I think that Elon Musk's purchase, he's going he's gonna to get buyer's remorse about that. Arguably, he did get buyer's remorse, tried to pull out and wasn't allowed to by, by the legal eagles. So we'll see. Um, I wish them well because, you know, there's an awful lot of good people working for Twitter in Ireland and elsewhere. Um, they need to clean up their act. Um, all of these social media companies need to clean up their act. There was a piece on the BBC's flagship uh, evening news program, Newsnight, only last night about a website that I have never heard of, actually, something called OnlyFans. Have you heard of that one? No. Well, apparently it's incredibly popular. It's made its own... That's why I've never heard of it. ...gazillions. And uh, the way in which this gentle, polite BBC report portrayed it, it just reading between the lines i may be being very unfair and i don't want to be sued for getting it wrong but they certainly mentioned the word porn and the uh, piece was essentially about the way in which underage children are exploited on this website or allegations of uh, exploitation of underage children they interviewed people from only fans who said that their content moderation was second to none that they did more content moderation than any other uh, social media website But I was struck by the fact that every social media website says exactly the same thing. Facebook says the same thing. Twitter says the same thing, that the content moderation is everything, that they are committed to having a clean website. And yet we all know that these websites contain the most vile stuff. I I do think that the social media business model, for as long as people like me are saying, you know, it's only good in parts, I don't see how it's sustainable going forward sooner or later. People like me will either vote with our feet or they'll get regulated to death. Equally, I just don't know where the where the revenue growth is going to come from, because it strikes me that the advertising based model thing has reached saturation. That's what I think Facebook's results tell us this week, and that they don't have a diversified enough source of revenue. Even Google looks to be slowing down the absolute leader in the ad based revenue model things. At the end of the day, Google, and it's not quite true to say they only have one source of revenue, but I'm always made nervous by companies that have just one main source of revenue. Um, if you've got a big moat around that source of revenue, great. But everybody's after the advertising dollar. Google, Facebook, Twitter, it's advertising dollars that they're after. And th- there has to be a finite amount of advertising revenue available to these companies. The reason why 
the very simplistic reason why I would have bought a Microsoft share this week, that I still like Apple, despite the caveats that I've mentioned, is that they have diverse revenue streams. And it's that old investing principle of good diversification. So I, I, I think social media is, has, has clear and obvious difficulties that render the question marks over, over the sustainability of what these companies will look like in five or 10 years' time. Can I just move you on a little bit to what the European Central Bank did yesterday? Another 75 basis points onto interest rates. Um, the base rate is, or the refinancing rate, one of the key ones, is now at 2%, having been at zero back in August. And uh, following in the press conference after the announcement yesterday, uh, Christine Lagarde was, wasn't was quite as bullish about the interest rate future as she has been, because the last time she started saying interest rates would definitely be increased further over the coming meetings. Whereas yesterday, there was a slight softening of the tone where she basically said that future interest rate decisions would be mindful of the interest rate increases that have already happened and mindful of this time lag between an interest rate change and its impact on inflation and suggesting basically that interest rates would probably be increased further. But it wasn't as definite as we got after the move in September. So that was interpreted by the markets as a slightly dovish tone from Lagarde, um, a slight backing away from this very aggressive interest rate tightening model. Uh, and that's fine. And, and I think based on what we understand about the eurozone economy, that makes a lot of sense because the eurozone economy, notwithstanding the fact that in the third quarter, growth in Germany, France, Spain has surprised a little bit on the upside. Uh, but the, the general consensus would be that this is just delaying the inevitable, that in the fourth quarter of this year and the first quarter of next year, that you are likely to see a recession in the euro area. So against that sort of backdrop, and you know, we spoke earlier this week about the weakness in the purchase managers index. Um, today, we got the European economic sentiment indicator quite weak again. So it's clear that the eurozone economy is losing a lot of momentum and increasing interest rates aggressively against that sort of backdrop. Uh, doesn't exactly make a lot of sense. But then today we get the latest flash estimates on inflation from Eurostat. German inflation up at 11.6%. And within that, food was up by 20.3%, which is quite extraordinary. French inflation, 7.1%, uh, which is a significant increase in France. Um, Italy up by 12.8%. So despite the weakening of economic activity, despite the more dovish tone from Lagarde, um, it's clear that inflation continues to become embedded in the system. And you really would wonder how much more interest rate tightening it's going to take, number one. And number two, how long those interest rate hikes are going to take to start impacting in a positive way on measured inflation. So it's, it's a real quandary for the European Central Bank at the moment. And um, meanwhile, you know, mortgage holders and other borrowers here in Ireland are facing into significant interest rate increases, as indeed around the rest of Europe. So it's a, it's a challenge for central bankers. In the United States, uh, growth in the third quarter surprised a little bit on the upside as well. The one area of weakness really was on the consumer spending side. And that is reflected in what Amazon was saying yesterday or this morning about um, slower sales in the fourth quarter of this year. So uh, 
not, not surprisingly, again, it's the consumer side of the economy that's starting to be impacted in the States from rising interest rates, um, particularly mortgage rates, and also from, you know, just the, the general um, increase in the cost of living we've seen. Um, so it also remains to be seen what the Federal Reserve is going to do on the interest rate front. I suspect it has grounds for being more aggressive from here than the European Central Bank. And on the 3rd of November, we have the next Bank of England meeting. And uh, the speculation in the market at the moment is whether it's going to be a three quarters or a 1% increase in rates. So we continue to live in this extraordinary environment of inflation becoming more embedded in the system, economic growth in many areas under intense pressure. And yet central bankers appear um, to have little choice other than to continue to tighten policy. Oh, I think they've got lots of choice. Um, It's just that the choice that they've made is to continue tightening policy aggressively. When, in my opinion, for what it's worth, Jim, and you may or may not agree, uh, it's not necessary. I think that central bank, the the era of central bank dominance of the omniscient, all-powerful, all-knowing central banker is drawing to a close because of two big errors that they've made being too slow to tighten when all this started and too aggressive when it all was kicking off right now. And what they're going to do is be blamed for allowing it to happen in the first place and then tightening by far too much, because as we know, we've got more interest rate rises to come on both sides of the Atlantic. They are going to tighten far too much and make the recession much, much worse so that at some point, I don't know whether it's going to be this time next year or this time in 18 or 24 months, you and I will be sitting here saying, blimey, look at all these interest rates and bond yields all back down again to where they were because inflation collapsed because of a recession that was much bigger than necessary caused by the world's central banks. That's my guess, verging on an economic forecast. Um, so I don't have a lot of sympathy for them. I think they've made a right bollocks of everything, actually and that they are taking huge risks, not just with the monetary system, not just with the economy, but really with the fabric of things. Martin Sanbu, I think we said it the other day on another podcast, has written an article about democratic accountability and what it actually means for central banks to be going into this with these big rate rises, 75 basis points at a time, with more to come, driving economies into deeper recessions than should have been necessary. Uh, we're not there yet. We are in recession in Europe, I think. I think it is going to get worse. I think that it's quite clear that things are slowing down really rapidly now, even in the US, but especially in Europe. And I do think that 2023 is going to be a very difficult year macroeconomically. And we will judge that the central banks have done a very, very bad job, both going into this, during this and coming out of it. So there. Chris, we were asked a question on our Substack site in the last few days about where we expect ECB base rate to be in four years' time? 1%. Okay, I, w- I was going to say 2%. There you go. Right. But the questioner also suggested that you might as well be throwing darts at a wall, which I know that we both agree with. <laughs> we, so please, we both totally please agree with that. Don't, don't come back to haunt me with that, with that forecast. I think the same questioner also asked questions about the mortgage rules, which I know you've touched on already. But do you, I'll ask you a direct question. Do you think from an Irish housing market point of view, with the fact that we are building more houses now in Ireland, not to target, 
but things are getting better. I think there's some good news on construction this week, both of houses and apartments, um, that uh, it was appropriate, it was right to, to, I'll tell you what I think now with the nature of the question, to juice the market again by making it easier to get a mortgage. You think it's right? No, I don't. Oh, you don't? No, no, no. absolutely. Um, the, the two, there was a number of changes, technical changes, but the two main ones were for first-time buyers, the loan-to-income limit has been increased from three and a half to four times, and the loan-to-value limit for second and subsequent buyers has been changed from, well, is going to be changed from 80% to 90%. So what that's basically doing is giving first and second time buyers the potential to borrow more money. And in an environment where demand is already very strong, where the constraint is on the supply side, you know, fueling demand is likely to have one impact. Um, Having said that, so I broadly agree with you, okay, that fueling House price inflation at a time like this does not make a lot of sense. But there is a little bit of me that felt there was a need for some tweaking of those rules. Because when you have situations where it's cheaper for somebody to take out a mortgage if they could get one than to rent a property, that is a serious distortion um, that needs to be addressed. But I have always been a fan of the central banks mortgage lending restrictions okay with some caveats and as i say uh, definitely a need there has been a need for some tweaks that i I've, I've certainly suggested over the last 12 months or so um but I, I i just get the sense at the moment that at the first signs that we're starting to see house price inflation decelerating suddenly the central bank steps in as if to reinject some stimulus back into the market. Um, I think the timing is all wrong. So, Jim, on balance, we know that central proof. banks are independent when it comes to interest rates. Yes, are they independent when it comes to mortgage rules policy? I actually don't know the answer to that question. Who actually has the power, the authority, the decision rights over this? Well, my understanding it's the governor of the central bank, absolutely. Okay. Um, and I, I, I don't think. My understanding would be that the political system can have no direct input into influencing any change. They will obviously make noise. They will obviously talk to the central bank and so on, but can have no direct influence. Okay. on. So there's the no suggestion he was lent on by politicians. Um, I don't think so, Chris, yeah. but yeah. maybe I'm naive in thinking that. Uh, But Gabriel Malouf um, strikes me as being a pretty independent, strong individual who wouldn't be um, prone to coming under or reacting to pressure from political sources. Uh, But I I, I think that all of the submissions that, well, sorry, not all, a lot of the submissions that came in to the central bank as it underwent its review of the mortgage lending rules over the last year or so, most of those would have been suggesting the sorts of changes that were actually implemented. So whether that's direct or indirect political pressure, um, I'm not sure. But um, I I, I do feel um, it was a mistake. I do feel that the... um, at least the timing is a mistake, okay, mm. at a time like mm. this, I say. Um, as, you know, bottom line is, Chris, it's it's a supply problem. Mm. Um, you know. And you've just added to demand. 
Exactly. Exactly. That never makes sense. Chris, we've spoken about a lot of stuff today. We've been probably all over the place a little bit. I hope not. Um, before I hand back to you to wrap it up, there's a couple of things I would like to mention. One is Shell's results during the week. Third quarter profits, nine and a half billion up from 4.1 billion, the equivalent period last year. ExxonMobil um, today, 50 yes. billion for the year, mm. billion a week. Yes. Extraordinary. There's a huge moral issue there. Well, it's well expressing that moral issue in economic terms, it's just a huge transfer of income yeah. from us to them. Yeah, absolutely. It's all wrong. That's all it, that's all it is. Yeah, the second, my final point would be, we spoke the other day about China, and uh, I think we both expressed a lot of negative views. The U.S. national defense strategy, the new strategy, has rejected the placing of limits on the U.S. use of nuclear weapons. And Biden, a couple of years ago, was pushing for limits. Um, arms control activists have been pushing for limits. But the, the national defense strategy has rejected those calls well, in, a pretty, in a pretty strong way. And and the rationale for the rejection is that, number one, the U.S. faces an acute nuclear threat from a declining Russia. And secondly, it faces a long-term nuclear threat from a rising China. And for the first time, um, from a U.S. perspective, they're now facing two significant dangerous nuclear powers. So that just, <laughs> I guess, feeds into all of that worrying negative stuff we were saying in relation to China, particularly in the last podcast? Well, I don't want to end on that incredibly depressing note, Jim. So other than to note what you have to say, I will refer people to a piece I wrote uh, yesterday for our Substack site in which uh, I was cheerful and I was echoing, plagiarizing actually, the remarks analysis of Chris Giles, the FT's economics editor, who came out with a very contrarian counter-consensus view on the energy market, the energy crisis in Europe. The consensus is that we're still in trouble, despite the collapse in gas and wholesale electricity prices, that that's temporary, that even if we get through this winter with half-decent weather and full uh, storage tanks of natural gas, we've got a real problem next winter. That's the consensus. Chris Giles and Chris Johns argued in the last few hours, that there is a chance, a decent chance, not a guarantee, a decent chance that that consensus is wrong and the outlook is much more cheerful than that. We'll call it there. And okay, Chris. See you next time, Jim. I look forward to talking next week, assuming I'm still around. Um, I have the Dublin City Marathon on Sunday. Uh, I hope I survive. I I'm wouldn't sure bet you on will, it. Jim, being the fit man that you are. Good luck. See you, Chris. Bye. You have been listening to Chris Johns and Jim Power on the other hand. We hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please sign up to our Substack account, www.cjpeconomics.substack.com. You can download our podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and other good podcast platforms. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.